0: What's good boys and girls, Two for Podcast on Tuesday the 16th of August, brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider, a virtual privacy network, allows you to go online, change your location, access things you geoblock from while also keeping your data safe. So for example, a UK expat wanting to watch Match of the Day on BBC iPlayer, but finding that they're geoblocked from that, getting that message that says... This content is not available in your location. A Liberty Shield VPN is what you need. Go to libertyshield.com, use the code EPL25 at checkout, and you'll get 25% off. Either the hardware package, which is a router that you plug into your normal broadband router, then connect any item, tablet, phone, television, whatever, to that router, set the Location to wherever it is you want. So if you live in Spain and you want to watch BBC iPlayer, you set your location to the UK and your internet service provider or the internet gods, they think you're in the UK. And you can watch away to your heart's content and most importantly, keep your data safe. LibertyShield.com, EPL 25, EPL 25. There's also a software package available that's instantly downloadable to your devices. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk. And finally, do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops that you can find on Etsy. Use the codes EPL10 or RED10 to get 10% off at checkout. Before we jump in, just a reminder to make sure you're listening to a Tad Predictable that you can find on this feed to Diwa and a guest previewing the weekend's games. This week, he's got Riley Finch, who's a young sports journalist. They're going to be talking about the upcoming Match Week 3 fixtures and doing their predictions. Be recorded Wednesday, so either Wednesday night or Thursday, but keep an eye for that one. And, of course, do check out The EPL Roundtable pod hosted by Kevin DeVries with a host of guests, sometimes three, sometimes four, sometimes only two. Kev likes to keep things things fresh, but do check that out. It's always very good and it's long running. You can find that on your podcast provider by searching EPL Roundtable. Right, folks. Liverpool let me down again last night. Jurgen Klopp, too stubborn for his own good. Head firmly in his own backside when it comes to the issues with his squad. This Liverpool team's crying out for new blood in midfield. Ideally, two. One would have been an enormous help. Instead, Nathaniel Phillips playing centre-back because he couldn't play Fabinho there because he doesn't have the midfielders to cope with it. And James Milner starting in the Premier League. Now, I've said multiple times on different podcasts, if James Milner started a single game in this Premier League season, that the summer transfer window had been a failure. And it has been a failure. The fact that Phillips is starting is bad enough. Milner, that's unacceptable. He's 36. He hasn't been good in four years. You can count the number of good starts he's had in those four years on one hand without actually using your thumb. Now, last night, it's not that he's bad. He's rarely awful. He's just okay. Like, he's 6 out of 10. He doesn't offer anything. He doesn't hurt you. But, unfortunately, that's not good enough in this team. Especially when Thiago's not there. Now, if Milner had been 6 out of 10 in the midfield with Fabinho playing as well as he did last night, and Thiago, then that wouldn't be too bad. That would be better than what Liverpool got last season, where their captain was throwing in four out of ten performances. You can have a zero-impact player when you've got two world-class midfielders. You can't have one when you've got one world-class midfielder and a 19-year-old. Now, Harvey Elliott played well last night, but he's playing the attacking midfield role. You need that, old, that second world-class midfielder to be in that controlling role. Milner doesn't offer enough control, doesn't offer enough creativity, not a good enough passer. Again, he's fine. He's okay, but he's not going to be a starter for this team if they have any ambition of winning the league. Jamie Carragher said last night the difference between Liverpool and City is Liverpool are too open to counterattacks. That's not true. The difference between Liverpool and City is City would never play James Milner or Nat Phillips or Jordan Henderson. They wouldn't get a game. They wouldn't even get in the squad. Nat Phillips wouldn't have made the under-16s at Man City. Pep wouldn't even look at the likes of Milner and Henderson. Not at this point in their careers. Henderson, again, came on last night. He was okay. He was fine. Six out of ten. Didn't do anything. Hoofed the ball a bit. Gave it away a few times. Ran around. Just doesn't offer anything. Just doesn't offer anything. Last night, he just didn't hurt them. He wasn't the negative impact player that he was against Fulham, for example. But okay is not good enough. I've done my... Moaning about this game on the Daily Red on Anfield Index, you can go and listen to that there. I can't be ours to talk about it anymore. We need to talk about other things. First thing I want to talk about today is Graham Sunes because I feel like Graham Sunes is getting abused for absolutely no reason. I feel like people are offended. Over nothing here. So, Graeme Souness was doing the Spurs-Chelsea game on Sky on Sunday. And in his post-match analysis, the topic was brought up of referees letting more things go in the game now. Allowing the game to be played a bit more physically. And some players not seeming to react all that well to that. And Souness said, it's a man's game. Now, bear in mind, he was after watching two games of men's football, right? And he said, it's a man's game. Now, many people decided to be outraged by this. Most of whom, just because they were looking for something to be outraged about some of whom because they're looking for some attention and want to write crappy articles about it, and others because maybe they just mistook what he said. Sunes wasn't saying it's a man's game, not for women. He was saying that men's football is a man's game. It's not a boy's game. That's what he was talking about. He was talking about men's football. Graham Souness has spoken twice in recent years about his admiration for women's football and about how happy he's been to see the growth of women's football. He's spoken in the past about wanting to see the game become more inclusive, the game as a whole become more inclusive, a game for everybody. But men's football is for men. The clue is in the name. Now, everybody has the right to play football. Everybody. But the law of the game is that only men can play men's football. Like only women can play women's football. and. When England were winning the women's Euros over the summer, an outstanding achievement, all the talk was about the women's game, the women's game, the women's game. It was emphasized that it was the women's game. So why is it a big issue when Suness says that men's football is a game for men? This is just people wanting to be offended. Now I get that for many, many years there was a a closed door policy in football. It was a game that wasn't inclusive. It's one of the reasons that in only recent years we start to start to see gay footballers become openly gay. Because prior to that the nature of the game, the alpha male nonsense, that that stuff all made gay men feel like they couldn't be open. Thomas Hitzelsberger, just as an example, he waited till he retired to come out because he didn't feel like he could when he was playing. Now we are seeing more and more men come out and be open about their sexuality. Women's football has always been great for that. Gay women have always been able to be. Not. Now always might be too strong. But for the last 15 years or so. They've been able to be more open about their sexuality. Megan Rapinoe might be the most. Well known. Women's footballer in the world. Now in part because of her. Arguments with Donald Trump. But. But she has been able to be open about her sexuality for a long time um, and about her relationship with Sue Bird. Uh, Jess Fishlock, who I've had on previous podcasts, she's been able to be open about who she is. And many others. They've been able to say who they are and people have embraced it in the women's game. The toxic masculinity didn't allow that into the men's game. Now, we've become more open as a society. We've seen pride and things like that really become a global phenomenon. And it's fantastic to see. But for all the good work that has been done in making people more open-minded about things, There are certain elements of society who have just gone far too far with things and are offended by everything and get offended just for the sake of being offended. Get offended because they want to have something to moan about. You know, we live in a political world where the middle ground has been vacated. Everybody's gone rushing to the right or rushing to the left. And there's no real middle ground anymore. There are no real centrists anymore. And it's become the same thing in the broader cultural spectrum, where everything people say is getting policed, everything gets microanalyzed. Graham Souness is doing live television. Live television. And what he's saying is what he feels. That's what you want on live television. You want honesty. You want openness. You want pundits speaking their minds. And that's what Graham Souness was doing. Yes, I understand there was a female player... Sitting beside him. Was she offended by it? Has she said anything? I haven't seen her say a word. Because I think she's probably smart enough to realise. It is men's football we're watching here. That's what the game was. It was men's football. So when Suna says it's a man's game. He's talking about the games he's just watched. He's not talking about the overall scope of the game. He's also not talking about fans. He's not saying it's a men's a man's game that only men can watch. He's saying it's a men's game that only men can play. And you know why he's right? Because they're the rules. They're the rules of the game. And I saw one article on The Athletic, and it's by a journalist that I, I, I quite like, I think her work is quite good. But she comes out and says, I was made to feel less welcome. Nonsense. That's a you issue. That's not a Graham Sooness issue. I'm sorry. And Sooness comes in for a lot of, of, of flack because people want to be offended. People want to find a deeper reason for everything. Rather than just accept what the man says, people want to look for, well, why did he say that? So, like, Graham Sooness has also recently been in the press because he had a pop at Tyron Mings. And Mings clapped back after one good performance where he was at best 7 out of 10 against the team with no striker. A team, by the way, that almost took a point off them. With no striker. Rondon came on and caused havoc against Villa. So. Souness said. Mings carries himself like he's something special. But he's accomplished nothing in the game. And Mings came out and said. Oh, I've accomplished a lot considering where I started. Well you started at Ipswich. And then you went to Bournemouth. And you failed there. There. And then you dropped down a division to Villa. And then you came up and you've been largely awful in the Premier League since. To the point where you were recently stripped of the club captaincy. And your manager said you had to look him in the eye and prove to him that you were ready to play. And that's what Souness was, was talking about, basically. He was defending Gerard's decision to strip him of the captaincy. Uh, Ming's got all upset about this and talked to social media, proving Suness's point. By the way, proving Suness's point that he thinks he's something he's not, and of course, oh well, you know it's all because Tyron Ming's is a black player. Garbage utter <laughs> garbage, and the logic behind that is well, he used to take shots at Paul Pogba all the time. Do people really like are people really this stupid in all walks of their life, or is it just when it comes to football? Graham Souness's dislike of Paul Pogba, the footballer, had nothing to do with his skin colour. Now look, I'll be the first one to point out racism where I see it. There was nothing racist about what Graham Souness had to say about Paul Pogba. Graham Souness is the best midfield player British football has ever produced. Ever. Better than Lampard, better than Gerrard, better than Scholes, better than Gascoigne, better than Robson, better than Hoddle, better than any of them. Graham Souness is that guy. If Graham Souness played today, he would be the best midfield player in the world. He could do everything. He's also the best captain that British football has seen, the best winner that British football has seen. Graham Souness is uniquely qualified to talk about midfield players because every one of them that he looks at, he was better than. What Graham Souness took umbrage with over Paul Pogba was that Paul Pogba has all the talent in the world and was crap for United. Now, unfortunately, for Sunes and for Pogba, we live in a world where there's no accountability. There's no accountability in the game of football for players who don't try, who don't perform and who just collect their wage every single week. There's no accountability because most pundits don't have the minerals to go on live TV and criticize them. The only two that do on a regular basis are Keen and Suness, because they're from an older school of thought. And those two get absolute pelters from the little snowflakes. Who don't like to hear that their favorite player wasn't very good. These are the same kids that go to school, arse around all day, and then go out and terrorize grannies in the evening because there's no discipline in their lives, because there's no accountability in their lives. So cause no cause they don't get held accountable, they don't bother holding anyone else accountable either. And we live in a weird world where you get all these weird stands, like people who'll try and tell you that Neymar is one of the five best players ever, despite the fact that he's been semi-retired now for six years. The people that will tell you that Pogba's the most talented midfielder that English football has ever seen, and all this crap. Graham Souness's issue with Paul Pogba is that Paul Pogba has every ounce of God-given talent and every ounce of physical advantage that any footballer could want and does nothing with it. And I don't care that he won the World Cup. I genuinely don't care. He won the World Cup in a team with N'Golo Kante and Blas Matuidi doing all his work for him. He won the World Cup because they had Kylian Mbappe and Antoine Griezmann up front. France didn't win the World Cup because of Paul Pogba. Yes, he's better for France than he is for United. That wouldn't be hard. And him winning the World Cup does not excuse six years of being a complete waste of space at Manchester United. Him winning a World Cup does not put the 240 million quid that United... Sunk into him over his tenure, back in the account, it's meaningless, and that was Graham Suness's gripe. This kid cares about France; he doesn't care about United. That was Suness's gripe with him. That's why he hammered on it. because week after week, Paul Pogba turned up and turned in four and five out of ten performances. When he had the talent, the ability, the physical gifts to be the best player on the pitch. Paul Pogba got outplayed multiple times by players that, in terms of talent, couldn't lace his boots. They weren't good enough to make him a sandwich, let alone share a pitch with him. But there's an age-old saying that hard work beats talent. When talent doesn't work hard. And there is a reason that Jordan Henderson, who doesn't have a fraction of the ability of Paul Pogba. Has been more successful in English football over the last six years. There's a reason James Milner, who doesn't have a fraction of the ability of Pogba, has had a better club career than Paul Pogba. Oh, but he won titles at Juve. In a Juve team that was a machine. A Juve team that Conte built and Allegri tweaked that had top players everywhere, which meant that he didn't have to be consistently good. He only really had one excellent season at Juve because everything was aligned for him. But at United, it wasn't. And all we heard for years was, Oh, United think this is the guy to unlock Pogba. And this other guy, he might unlock Pogba. How about Pogba unlock somebody else? You paid 90 million quid for him. The man earns 15 million a year. He can't unlock somebody. He can't raise the levels. What was he bought for? Bruno Fernandes came in and just set fire to the league for 18 months. Pogba couldn't do it at all. Pogba has much more talent than Bruno. But Bruno works a lot harder. And that's why Souness had a gripe with him. Souness doesn't care if he's black, white, pink, purple, brown, yellow. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. All he cared about was that this uniquely gifted midfielder, and Pogba is uniquely gifted, to be his size with his skill set. He could have been... A midfield Zlatan. And he never came close, not even a little bit. But because the norm is that pundits don't criticize players, never go in too hard. Unless a player gets sent off, they never really say a whole lot about them. They'll criticize the group of players. But never the individuals. But Souness doesn't care. Souness will point out the individuals. Especially the individuals that are meant to make the team better. The ones that are meant to be the senior players and the leaders of the team. That's why Graeme Souness took umbrage with Paul Pogba during his tenure at Man United. It had nothing to do with his skin colour. And the reason Graeme Sooner said it's a man's game is because it's men's football. It's literally the clue is in the name. He was talking about the difference between men and boys, not men and women. If he was doing a women's game, he'd say it's a woman's game, not a girl's game. Could he maybe have framed it a little bit better? Maybe. It's live television. What do you want them reading from a script? And pretending all is rosy? It's just such nonsense. Where have we gone? That this is what get, what's getting policed. And as well as that. For the couple of point-scoring journalists, not the one I mentioned earlier, <clears throat> there are a couple of male journalists attempting to use this as a point-scoring exercise. And you should be ashamed of yourselves. And then also, lastly on this, to the idiots who say Graham Sooness is trying to stay relevant, Graeme Sooness doesn't know what he's talking about, Graham Souness is more relevant than anyone else on a Sky panel bar Roy Keane. Those two stand levels above Carragher and Neville and Redknapp and whoever else in terms of relevance to the game because the impact those two had is far greater than what the rest had. You ask Jamie Redknapp which two midfielders he grew up admiring. Who were his two favourite midfielders? Souness and Keane. Probably, he might throw Glenn Hoddle in there as well. Glenn Hoddle's another one. Glenn Hoddle can say what he wants as far as I'm concerned. When he comes to criticising players, Glenn Hoddle has open season. Now, Glenn Hoddle's a bit of a weird fella anyway, but Souness is entitled to say whatever it is he wants because he's earned that right. Just because you didn't see them play. And just because they don't mollycoddle your favourite player and pretend that these show ponies like Neymar and Pogba and whoever else you want to throw in are God's gift to the game doesn't take away the fact that they know far more about the game than you do. Graham Stuness has forgotten more about football. Than most people will know. And if it comes down to it, who are we really going to listen to on matters of football? Are we going to listen to Pogba Season on Twitter, who's also, you know, who's got a bio that says fan account, Pogba, Neymar, some of the tap dance, and fool are my goats and then generally something about lewis hamilton for some reason he just tends to attract them all or or are we going to listen to a fella who won an fa youth cup with tottenham won the second division with middlesbrough won five league titles four league cups and three european cups at liverpool went to sampdoria won a cup italia won two league titles as a player manager and three, FA, uh, three Scottish League Cups as a player manager with Rangers. As Rangers manager, he also won another league title and another Scottish League Cup. Then at Liverpool, he won the FA Cup. And his tenure at Liverpool was awful, and he'll admit that himself. He went to Turkey. He won the Turkish Cup and the Turkish Super Cup. And then with Blackburn Rovers, he won the League Cup. So are we going to listen to him or are we going to listen to Pogba's season? Or Neymar Goat. fan account. If you don't like what I say, that's your problem. I speak the truth. Morons, morons, fan account. Of course, you're a fan account. You're nobody. It's because you've got a hundred thousand followers on Twitter that doesn't mean you're an important person. There's nobody's. <laughs> I not to use this kid as an example because he's actually a decent. Guy. There's a guy called. Ozel things or something on Twitter and he's got like a decent following, but he's got fan account in his bio because people might mistake him for the real Mesut Ozil or something, I don't know but like (laughs) shut up, Graham Souness was right that it's a man's game, he's right about Tyron Mings and he's right about Paul Pogba and the only reason you're offended is because you're looking for something to be offended by and I'm sorry if that offends people, but I really don't care. Uh, let's move on. Gareth Crook's Team of the Week. A new format this season, if you don't mind. He's gone for Nick Pope. No problems there. Nick Pope was very, very good. In defence, he's gone for Pontus Janssen, Uh, which I don't really understand because Pontus Jansen didn't have a whole lot to do. Uh, and Ben Mee played next to him and was better. And scored, but was better in general. Uh, he's gone for Koulibaly because he scored. He's put Mings in, which is just brilliant. Absolutely. I was surprised to see Mings on the bench. Have you not watched any football for the last couple of years? In midfield, he's gone Rhys James because he scored. De Bruyne was excellent, so that's fine. He's picked Xhaka, which is great crack. And Matthias Janssen, who who actually, to be fair was outstanding for Brentford. Uh, And then up front, he's gone. Gabriel Jesus, which is fair. Rodrigo Moreno, who was actually quite poor, but scored two goals. And Luis Diaz. Um, I mean... uh, There's a few questionable ones there. It's better than his normal efforts. But he obviously is, as always, quite heavily leaning on those who scored goals. Winners and losers from the weekend needs to be done. We're going to start with the losers. First loser is Liverpool. Now four points behind City. Looking like a team that doesn't know how to win football games. They've fallen behind in their last six Premier League games, which is extremely concerning. Extremely concerning. Especially when they don't look like scoring uh, a whole bunch of goals at the minute. They lose Darwin Nunes for three weeks. He joins Diogo Jota on the sidelines. He joins Bobby Firmino on the sidelines. They're due to go to Old Trafford in a week and they've got no striker fit or available. Um, Thiago's out for six weeks. Matip is out. Kanate is out. It's just not a very good situation for Liverpool at the moment. But uh, for Liverpool to be 12th after two games is, is less than ideal. I know it's only two games, but it's less than ideal to be four points off Arsenal. You don't worry about being four four points off City, rather. You don't worry about being four points off Arsenal. Arsenal will find many new and exciting ways to make a mess of things. But City, two games, two wins, six goals scored, zero conceded, six points, and looking like they're playing with their food. So that's concerning. Um, Second loser... Manchester United got absolutely smoked by Bradford. And they sit bottom of the table. Two games, two defeats, one goal scored, six goals conceded, negative five goal difference and uh, zero points. And Manchester United, if they don't score against Liverpool uh, at the weekend, had better hope they score against Southampton or else their goal of the month is going to be an Alexis McAllister own goal. Not great. Not great. It's not a good time for Eric Ten Hag. Uh, I think the pressure is really starting to mount on him as well. A lot of the journalists seem to have doubts over him. Uh, there's doubts over whether he's got really got the charisma to try and turn this team around. But... Look, he, he needs time, he needs patience, he needs money to spend. He's had, what, £70 million so far? But he needs a lot more because they are a train wreck. But he also needs to be a bit more pragmatic. He can't roll out Maguire and Martinez again as a centre-back pairing. It's unacceptable for that to be a centre-back pairing in the Premier League. It's like putting the Big Show and Rey Mysterio out there together. Awful. My third loser of the week. There isn't really an obvious one here. I'm going to say Leicester because they're in a bad situation at the minute where they've got a bunch of injuries. They've got a couple of players who might be looking at the exit door. The manager seems to have lost kind of any kind of link between himself and the team and their performance against Arsenal was just really bad. They just looked all at sea. They didn't seem to have any coherent plan and Rodgers playing a weird formation that just doesn't make any sense. It's it's overly defensive but not good defensively. So I'm going to say Leicester as my third loser of the week. Winners of the week, Man City, obviously. 4-0 win over Brentford and Liverpool's draw. City are only looking at Liverpool this year. No one else will be on their radar. As good as Spurs are, as good as Chelsea are, no one else is on the radar. It is just Liverpool. And every point Liverpool dropped, City will feel like it's a point gained for them. So City, first winners of the week. Second winners... I'm going to say the Premier League because Chelsea versus Tottenham is, like I said yesterday, the rivalry the league needs. And the game was quality. The carry-on was great. It's been a talking point still to this morning. People are still talking about that game. That's what the Premier League needs. Not these forgettable games that people stop talking about within a couple of hours. You know, two days later, People are still talking about the Chelsea Spurs game for good reasons and bad, but mostly for good, I think. And my third winner is going to be Forrest. Because it's your first home game in 23 years. It's big pressure. And you perform very well. Now you had some good luck, you had some fortune, but you performed well. You got your home win, you get three points on the board. And as well as that, you managed to sign three players over the weekend. So all in all, a very, very good weekend's work for Nottingham Forest. So they're my three losers and three winners for this weekend. Uh, What I'm going to do now, then, is I'm going to take a break. And when we come back, we'll go through the news, we'll go through the gossip, and we'll be done for the day. So I'll see you soon. Right, welcome back. So, uh, there's an article on the BBC website, Women's Football. Colon, European game could be worth 578 million a year by 2033. Women's football in Europe could have a commercial value of 578 million a year by 2033, according to UEFA. New research by the governing body forecasts a potential six fold increase in the figure during the next decade the fan base for the game could rise from 144 million now to 328 million across that period according to projections making the case for investment nadine kessler head of uefa's head of women's football said the game is seeing an incredibly exciting level of growth and it is it's incredible it's incredible how much growth there's been we've seen games sell out the new camp we've seen games sell out Wembley this is what you want and it would be fantastic if women's football was making that type of money becoming completely self-sustaining not relying on money from the men's game or anything like that just its own individual game that would be brilliant absolutely brilliant and these women who are fantastic footballers could get paid the way they deserve to get paid you get paid based on how much your sport generates so men's football generates billions and billions a year if women's football can get to 578 million we'll see a lot of very well-paid women's footballers and that would be absolutely brilliant um, not so brilliant is Yoki Manderson who says that he has received three to four hundred abusive messages on Instagram, including a couple of death threats. that is absolutely disgusting behavior absolutely shocking. no player, no matter how bad they are or no matter what they do or no matter that they you know, get involved in a situation where your team's player gets sent off, deserves abuse in that form and certainly doesn't deserve any kind of threats. I'd also point out, though, that the lads threatening Yoki Manderson are most likely 14 and would fill their trousers if he growled at them, uh, let alone if he grabbed the health of them and gave them the few slaps. But these are the same kids that I was talking about earlier that have no accountability in their lives because they grew up not getting a clip around the ear because, again, we got too soft on things. Like, there's a line where it's unacceptable to, you know, child abuse obviously is unacceptable physical abuse, mental abuse, sex abuse, anything like that. It's unacceptable. But a clip around the ear, a smack on the arse, a clip on the back of the legs, whatever it is, those things, those things teach good life lessons. Those things te- teach you that if you do something, something will happen to you, that there is a punishment for your actions. Now, I grew up in an era where the wooden spoon was a thing. The most terrifying thing in an Irish household in the 80s and 90s was the wooden spoon. And if you knew you were going to be in trouble, you hid the wooden spoon. Now, that could backfire because that could lead to more anger in your direction. But it didn't do any of us any harm getting a clip on the arse with a wooden spoon or a wrap across the back of the legs with one, you know, the clip around the ear your grandfather would give you when you gave cheek back to your mother or your grandmother. Those things were fine. They did you no harm at all. They do- just taught you that there are consequences for misbehavior. But now, because we're all so worried about hurting people's feelings and you can't do anything, you can't do anything. And these kids just run roughshod. And they're on Instagram, which I'm pretty sure they shouldn't be, because isn't there an 18's age limit on Instagram, regardless? They're sending abuse to a fella who would merc them. He would line them up and knock them down like bowling skittles. But he shouldn't have to. And he shouldn't have to deal with this crap either. Stop sending crap to players. If you want to see, if you want to say, I think Joachim Anderson, Anderson is whatever. Go on Twitter and just tweet, I think Joachim Anderson is whatever. Don't tag him in it and certainly don't DM it to him and don't send him threats. You absolute imbeciles. What are we doing? Manchester City have confirmed the signing of Sergio Gomez from Anderlecht, a fee in the region of £12 Looks like he'll be going straight into the first-team squad, which is a a change in plan from their original plan when they were looking at Cucurella and him. Having backed away from the Cucurella deal, they've decided to go with this kid. And he's very highly regarded, so we'll see how he does. It wouldn't surprise me if City still have one more move up their sleeves. It wouldn't surprise me if they brought in a backup right back. I still think that's what they need, someone behind Walker. But Gomez is very, very talented. Um, In a move that has been done only to hurt me, and I, I take this as a personal affront, given how often I've praised Wolves and Bruno Lage on this podcast, for them to go out and sign Matthias Nunes from Sporting uh just to hurt me is, is it, it, it just it does it hurts it hurts uh but this is a great signing for wolves thirty eight million pounds the club record fee and he is tremendous absolutely tremendous you put him in midfield next to Ruben Neves in a two or potentially in a three with Matinho or with Morgan Gibbs White and that will be exceptionally good. They can go 4-2-3-1 with Nunes and Neves with Gibbs White as the 10 Neto off the right Guedes off the left that is an exceptionally strong five-man unit. Like that's really, really good. That defence when Semedo comes back of Samedo, Collins, Kilman and Nuri, I think that's going to be really good. Jose Sa looked a lot better, obviously, at the weekend than he did in in match week one. If he gets back to last season's form, that's going to be really, really good. Obviously, the big question is what happens up front. Is this the last signing of the summer? In which case, they're going to be heavily, heavily reliant on either Jimenez getting back to form or Wang carrying the load. I wouldn't back either. So I do wonder if they've got one more move up their sleeve to get the striker that they need. Find that goal scorer. But Wolves are going to be good this season. I do think they're going to be good. They'll be enjoyable to watch. I think that midfield is going to be really, really good. I really do. I think I think him and Neves is going to be really, really good. And is a midfield that is better than what most clubs in the league are putting forward. It's better than Arsenal's midfield. It's honestly better than the Liverpool midfield at the minute. Um, I would take it over Chelsea's midfield. It's certainly better than United's midfield. Outside of City, and a fully fit Liverpool, and even then, I think it's questionable if a fully fit Liverpool is better than that. Because they've got five to play those two positions. Neves, Nunes, Moutinho, then and Gibbs White. Like they're all good players. I think three of them—Neves, Nunes, and Gibbs White—are really, really good. So that three as a starting three, even if it's a two and a one, I, I think it's better than Thiago, Fabinho, and whatever. Thiago and Fabinho are better than Neves and Nunes. But I think Gibbs White's better than anybody Liverpool can start in that third midfield role right now. Unless Naby Keita gets the chance. But he didn't even come off the bench last night. I think Wolves are a really good midfield. I do. I think it's a really good midfield. Um, What else do we have? Let's see. Uh, David Ornstein is shilling for Phil McNulty and Jim White, who've written a book called Red on Red. Liverpool, Manchester United, and the fiercest rivalry in world football. Uh, number one, it's not the fiercest rivalry in world football. Number two, Phil McNulty's an Everton fan, as far as I know. Why is he writing about Liverpool? Ornstein is reporting that City are unwilling to sell Bernardo Silva unless their valuation is met. Uh, actually, it's the it's the reporting of Paul Palace Paul Ballas. Um who is their Spanish correspondent at the Atlantic, or one of the Spanish correspondents. Uh, Orlston is just reiterating it. Manchester United are willing to let James Garner leave for around 14 million, which is just hilarious. Uh, Granite Jacket and Gabriel as I mentioned that yesterday. Uh, John Percy has news on the, the Nunes deal. Uh, Stoke are about to sign Tariq Fossu. Of Brentford on loan, they're still hoping of getting Liam Delap in on loan. Um, Mike McGrath, what have you got to say for yourself? Um, he's got he's got Yoki Manderson's five step guide to rattling Darwin Nunes. A persistent fouling and kicking him and pulling his shirt is basically what he did, and then he engaged him in a physical altercation, uh, and just played it really smart shoved him, knew he'd swing round and stepped in and what should have been a chest-to-chest contact became a forehead-to-chin contact. What else do we have? Napoli will cover the main part of Tanguy Endabelli's salary and a loan fee of around 1 million, which is very, very low. Uh, Buy option for next summer of 30 million. If he does well, they will take that up. Uh, Eintracht Frankfurt are set to sign Eric Jr. Epembe from PSG. This is another really talented young player that PSG are just going to let leave. He was really good on loan, was it last season? The year before, maybe. He was at Dion the year before, I think. Uh, he's really talented, but PSG just don't give young players opportunities. Issa Kabore, the Burkina Faso right back from Man City, is going to Marseille on loan. Marseille will have an option to buy for £20 next year. He's very, very talented. It was linked at Southampton earlier this summer. Uh, West Ham are close to completing a deal for Tilo Carrera. It looks like personal terms are agreed and a fee is close to being agreed. It's a good signing if they can develop him. He has stagnated quite badly. West Ham are also in talks to sign Emerson Palmieri from Chelsea, which is a bit of a weird one because he's not all that good. Um, Manchester United are apparently now potentially, maybe, possibly open to selling Cristiano Ronaldo uh, Mendes is still working on finding a club that will take him but it doesn't look like there's many out there willing to outside of the Middle East so well, in fact there's, there's nobody outside of the Middle East maybe someone would take him on loan or maybe someone would take him on a free, but I, even at that I think it's a, a big stretch. Uh, Chelsea are now set to sign Cesare Cassady. Uh, an official build, bid has been sent and agreed. Uh, 15 million euro and 5 million in add-ons. Another exciting young midfielder uh, who will get buried at Chelsea, which is, you know, the same thing that's going to happen to Carney Chukwemeka. Uh, Tanguy Inzanzu is going to Sevilla from Bayern Munich. This kid is super talented, like massively talented. But Bayern do have a bit of a log jam at centre back. Now he was previously a PSG, another one that came through the academy. Bayern stole him on a on a Bosman. Um, he's been. Fairly impressive when he's played 22 appearances last season. But when you look at their squad, they do have, you know, a number of centre-backs. Upa Meccano, Matthias De Ligt, Benji Pavard, Lucas Hernandez. They're really well-stocked at centre-back. Uh, Stanisic can also play there, the, the Croatian. So it makes sense for them. They include a set buyback clause, so they protect themselves. But this is a great get for a Sevilla team who lost Jules Kunde and uh, Diego Carlos in the summer, have missed out on a couple of targets that they'd hoped to bring in as replacement. Uh, but this kid is really, really good. Definitely one to keep an eye on. Um, they've also obviously signed Isco, which, you know, is what it is. Uh, Marquiao is the other centre-back. They brought in the Brazilian from Galatasaray. So that's their new centre-back pairing, um, him and and Nianzu. And uh, it's it's promising. It's promising. We'll see how they do. It'll take time to bet in. Alex Tellez will be the new left-back. Yeah, not a bad window. Not a bad window for... You know, persevere. I, I'd ex- still expect Munchie to do a few more bits of madness before the uh, the transfer window closes. And that is that. We will do the gossip and we will be done for the day. If we can find the gossip, there it is. Manchester United are considering a move for Jamie Vardy, but the Foxes are said to be reluctant to let him leave. That doesn't mean that they won't let him leave. Uh, I think there is a world in which Leicester would be quite happy to let Vardy go if they could get a fee and get his wages off the bill. Like He's 35. He's going to want a new contract. He's at a contract at the end of the season. I don't think they want to give it to him, but I also don't think they want to lose him for free. So I think if United were willing to give them a, a decent enough fee, they'd probably take it. Uh, United are also ready to battle Chelsea for Pierre Emerick Aubameyang. That one's not happening. Uh, Erik Ten Hag is prepared to allow Cristiano to leave the club. That's fine. Nobody wants him. Um, uh, Matthias Nunez. Yeah, blah blah blah. Crystal Palace are prepared to pay twelve million for Antoine Semenyo of Bristol, uh, who is also interesting, Bournemouth and Everton. Chelsea are set to make an improved £45 million bid for Anthony Gordon after seeing the first bid of £40 million turned down. Apparently, the £45 million has also been turned down. You can't be bidding £45 million for Anthony Gordon. And you also most certainly can't be turning that money down. Now, I'd be looking at Emmanuel Dennis, who's just gone to Forest for £20 million is a significantly better player than Anthony Gordon is, is significantly more proven, and significantly more ready, for half the money, the world is going mad. Chelsea are close to winning the race for Cesare Caseda. Yeah, that one looks like it's done. Uh, Newcastle have had a £20 million offer for Watford Ford. Joe Pedro rejected. Apparently Watford would sell for around £35 million. Um, which is a lot, but he is a super talented player. I would love to get him at Liverpool to replace Bobby Firmino. Uh, West Ham have approached Chelsea to sign Emerson Palmieri. West Ham are also interested in a career. Manchester United's offer to buy Frankie Young has now expired. I don't know what that means. It, did, did it come on a tape that said, you know, if this offer is not accepted by the 15th of August, this tape will self destruct? You know, was it did it have was it an email with an auto-delete function, maybe? Chelsea's Marcus Alonso has agreed personal terms with Barcelona and the La Liga side are set to pay six million. That is six million too much. Manchester United are close to signing Matthias Cunha from Atletico Madrid. I really like him. And he's a very good pressing forward. Now Is he a number nine? Not really. He is if you could put goal scoring wingers around him, but United don't really have goal scoring wingers. Now Rashford will get a share of goals. Sancho Sancho's not going to get a ton of goals unless the fullback situation improves. But you could go Rashford right side, Sancho left side, play Malashia, play Cunha through the middle. He's a good player, he's a good addition but he's one of a few that they need to make. Um and look if if atletico can make a 20 million pound profit on a player that scored seven goals in 37 appearances last season, I'm sure they'll be quite happy about that. Uh West Ham, Marseille and Monaco are all interested in Eric Bailly and United are keen to offload him. Uh he's always injured. He's a good defender, he's just always injured. That's just how it is. Uh that is it. That is me for today. Thank you to listen to listening to thank you for listening to the Graham Sooness Defence podcast. And um I'll see you tomorrow. Bye bye. Podcast Network.